You are listening to us, Unscripted Stories, brought to you by Northwestern University's Multicultural Student Affairs. We are recording at the traditional homelands of the people of the Council of Three Fires, the Ojibwe, Potawatomi, and Adawa, as well as the Menominee, Miami, and Ho-Chunk Nations. Should we move on to my story or I don't know. Tell us your story. (laughs) I just wanted to I just wanted to ask. (laughs) Um so I even though like I knew that that we were having this conversation, I didn't sit to think about a story before we came in. I was like, oh right, it's a story. And then I was like, oh no, I'm so sorry, y'all. But um through so I was really like, okay, cool, I'm gonna go last. I'm gonna listen to y'all and hear y'all and then hope I have something at the end. And I was thinking about just, I mean, just talking about police and pride and like all of that, I was just thinking about like my only pride that I got to go to was last year's pride. So I was excited for this month because I was like, okay, y'all, like this is going to be fun. Like it's 2020. I mean, this is before 2020, so these are my thoughts because 2020 has been not, it's been a ride. But um, like, you know what I mean? I'm sitting here going, okay, this is cool. Like I have a community that I feel more solid with. I'm excited to like express myself and being community and find joy um with like fellow queer people of color um and anyway but just thinking back to i went off track but thinking back to last year being like the only pride i've really been to just because the way things happened and where like what state or where i was at what point in time the last year before that i just never got to go to one and it was wild to be there and see so many police which um for chicago um, for anyone who is not familiar with like the Boys Town neighborhood, Belmont, uh, what is that street? Halstead, Halstead, North Halstead Street, where they have the Pride Parade. Um, there's a police like station, like right, right there in the middle of it. So they are front and center. And um, I just have this very visceral memory of because uh, Pride got rained out last year. But um, so we went, we were like, oh, it's raining. We were hiding under a gas station. And then we started walking like elsewhere. Like, let's go do some karaoke. This will be fun. We're going to, you know, do something else to enjoy this day. And I think we took the train to Belmont. I don't know. It doesn't matter. The point is we went to this area that was, that had a lot of black and brown folks. Like we got off the train and there was a bunch of black and brown folks all around us. And there was like an, a, ridiculous like hundreds of police officers like almost an equivalent number of police officers as as people on the street and it was so overwhelming there was like taser sounds there was horses like I remember just holding my friend and like you know what I mean like trying to like move as fast as possible to a different area and it was so overwhelming and alarming to just be like this is supposed to be a day where we're like celebrating ourselves and being happy why are we being like feeling terrorized or feeling like unsafe um, and then remembering in that moment, I'm like, this is a predominantly white neighborhood, a predominantly like well-off neighborhood. Um, and uh, I don't know, they probably think they're protecting themselves. And I'm like, and it just it that just resonates a lot with me thinking about now. And our like back to like the beginning of our conversation with talking about um, like like white queer folks and their relationship to the police. Um, and like relationships, like the the way you know police are about protecting property and protecting like or upholding systems of oppression, white supremacy, things that like they benefit from. Um, but I don't know. I just think about like in because like at least in answering the question, thinking about like how I celebrate Pride right now, it's like 
grounded in a lot of the things we've already been talking about, you know, centering um, Black folks, centering liberation, centering anti-police um, abolitionist efforts, thinking about and centering um, the most vulnerable in our communities, Black trans women, trans folks, like thinking about navigating with my identities in, in these conversations and spaces as being like a, you know, fairly light-skinned Black person, being a cis male. Um, it's just like finding ways to both interject and, and be proud in spaces where like, I don't know, I just think about like entering certain spaces and I'll be like, I want to be myself and I want to fight for Black people. But then I'm also just like, sometimes I don't feel comfortable being my queer self in liberation-esque spaces and then finding, so then I like look for spaces that are like queer or um, feminist oriented. And that's also part of it, I guess, is like, I've been looking or searching a lot these last few days. Like I, like I was, um, I've been reading a lot about B100, like BYP 100, for example, because they have um, feminist and queer oriented, uh, like politics, I don't know, politics. Um, politics, I don't know what I'm looking for, like goals, missions, ethics, values, just all those things. It's like, you know what I mean? They center queer and feminist thought and all of that. And I was like, whoa, it's like finding that, centering that. Um, and also just that memory is centered in my thoughts too, because I'm just like, that was just not, how I will, that's not how I want pride to be ever again. Um, and that's kind of like a centering, just, you know, it, being in pride month, I'm like, yes, like, this is not how I, I just, I just think back to like, what did, what did um, the folks at Stonewall want? I'm like, they would not have wanted this. They were literally fighting the police, but they have wanted police on horses at pride. What does that even, what does that represent? Like, like what, what circle have we done? We've gone full 180 back to something I don't even imagine they would have wanted. Like they were, they were not, right. I want anyone who's listening to this who's like, yes, to the police at Pride to really sit there and think, did Marsha P. Johnson want a police officer celebrating Pride with me? <laughs> no. <laughs> I mean, I can't speak for her, but like, I'm just going to assume no from, from the track record of, of advocacy, the organizations. It's like, I, I can never go back to the previous ways that I might have thought about or engaged in celebrating Pride. Like, Pride Month in 2020 is amidst a pandemic. It's amidst liberatory like nationwide liberatory action, collective action, and now pride for me has forever changed because of that. So um, we're living in a very specific moment and we have a chance to center all of that within pride. And I would hope that all others would do that as well, like regardless of your connections to identity-wise or otherwise to any of the things that are like aforementioned, just like engaging in pride in that way is like, we have to center and uplift those of us that are the most vulnerable to state extinction violence and bring them up first and then come up with them. People can see my hands. Okay, I'm I'm lifting my hands up. <laughs> imagine, imagine it starts at my like torso, goes up past my head. Anyway. That was beautiful, Austin. That was really good, yeah. Like that was really like that was gorgeous. Thank you. Yeah, you really did the math with the Marsha P. Johnson maybe not wanting police <laughs> at Pride. Like that was something I haven't even thought about before this year, but that's, wow, that's very ironic. It just hit me in this moment. I was like, wait a sec. I was like, wait a second. <laughs> yeah. I was just, cause I was like, like I wanted to know more because this is not part of, you know, the history that we are taught. 
Um, not that they taught, not that they really teach any of it, but I was just like, I want to know more about, you know, like the role of trans women, black trans women, like queer folks of color in this movement. And just understanding that like Marsha P. Johnson and other folks were not even welcome into the marches that were happening and understanding that they had to fight like their peers and the police. Like, I was like, I just, I wouldn't disbelieve this. Like, you know what I mean? It's one of those things where I'm like, I don't have, maybe like, I don't have all the facts, but I just, from what I've seen or like people I've interacted with or things people have said, like, I just don't disbelieve this information. And I would have to be, anyway. Say, what were you saying? Oh yeah, no, you don't, no, you're good. No, I was gonna say that all the things you shared are uh, really insightful um and to build upon that um is that i'm in agreement with you 100 percent and again thinking about the origins of any kind of like organizing with queer liberation again was in conversation with anti-surveillance and anti-police work right um and so i think what we're seeing right um is the dangers of pinkwashing and revisionism um and the, so this idea that like cops and other powerful institutions uh such as like media um and arguably governments maybe to a lesser extent but argue, mm, depends maybe not with this administration um uh but the idea that they have always been allies um quote unquote uh, to queer community is a more recent development and a strategic uh, political move, right? Um, and so thinking about like, we have to, to me, um, <laughs> to me, like a, a, a useful pride is one that is um, against surveillance and it's against the policing of black and brown bodies um, and queer folks. And um, there's really there's really no space for cops, right? Because the cops are invested in normative ideals and protecting property over black and brown life um, and, and are the purveyors of white supremacy. Um, and to me, that is antithetical to a space, uh, a pride space. And so like, I mean, so if you're a gay and a white supremacist, you'll be cool with cops, like you won't have any problems, but if you're not, then it's like, well, what's the tea? Like, um, and also like the whole thing with like, at least in the last couple of years, we've just seen how capitalism and it's, Capitalism is nefarious and insidious, and it will maneuver and manifest to reproduce itself. So we'll see how suddenly Target and Tesla, they don't care about us, but because it's profitable, suddenly we can get some stupid, like Elon Musk has like some stupid rainbow colored cars. Like, I don't want that. Like, I want you to donate and redistribute funds because your company is built off of colonialism. Like, what? <laughs> like you know, apartheid Clyde, like, I want to see you open up that purse. Like, that is what you could do with the most pride, like, um, prideful actions you can show for the community. So I just think, and, you know, and I, and I just use those as examples to think about, like, how it's become so commodified and commercialized um, and co-opted, which is really dangerous. Um, uh, and so there, there, it's, it's about thinking about other organizing or other movements that center um, a more radical vision of queer liberation that is not predicated on respectability or assimilation into you know these ideas of of capitalism um and respectableness and like getting along with cops because at the end of the day right like cops have already shown us historically who sides they're on and it's not on the side of queer liberation yeah i think like 
we've moved like way past the point of needing corporations to be like performatively like you know allies like it's it's beyond the need to be like you know not overtly homophobic now like them putting rainbows on the like you know whatever logo the tesla mobile (laughs) isn't like helping and like we've seen like these like retail stores and grocery stores like haven't like that like have like explicitly like closed like and turn their backs on like protesters and people of color queer people like they haven't helped anything and they're like like actively hurting these communities so like for them to you know assume that like they're their their rainbow logos are like helping anyone or doing anything except make their like companies look better and increase their profit margins is like insulting and like it's so beyond like what anyone is asking for um and i just did a quick google search as you were speaking as we were talking i was just thinking about it and i have a a a quick example right here just two years ago and i'm sure this has happened before um a google engineer uh who's a black disabled uh, queer trans was fired um, uh, against the claims and was claiming that Google was trying to get rid, um, rid of them simply for trying to file a uh, gender discrimination uh, report, right? So there's like, there's actually like a lot of claims. Uh, Google and other corporations have like effective PR campaigns and things, but there's a lot of folks who are like actually, you know, their work, but they're not safe, right? So what does it mean that we have all of these PR campaigns that suggest like, oh yeah, like being queer in the workplace is great here. But then it's like, what you, once you actually, um, and so that, and yeah, and the person I, uh, who that is, is uh, Tim Chevalier. So uh, for fact checking, but yeah, that's just, that's wild to me. We'll try to market as $30 rainbow socks to make it all better. How I celebrate my price. They're like, don't you want the socks though? Doesn't that make everything? Doesn't that mean more allies? And I'm like, you're what? <laughs> no, and not if you're paying people if the labor that's used to produce those socks is being criminally exploited. Like, but anyway, I'm sorry. I feel like I keep I keep <laughs> derailing the conversation. <laughs> to be no, more you're like, right on track. Everything <laughs> is tea. Like it's all your. It's just facts. <laughs> Literally. No, but for real, even if things are like, I mean, like the world is booty, it kind of always has been, um, but in these cities, it's been pretty bad, but like, um, even the capacity to do, try to do something cute for pride, I'd still be down, um, whether that's like, if people are organizing and trying to do a little Zoom thing, like, you know, some people have been doing that, and to me, it's better than nothing, I like it, it's obviously not a replacement for the like, being able to be in space with people physically, but uh, you know, being able to do group chat calls or being able to, you know, talk in, in one with another. And yeah, like last year's was um, like that cute uh, breakfast before Pride and the breakfast ended up being the best part <laughs> before the cop mess. <laughs> but, um, you know, we could maybe do something like that, a little virtual kiki. I don't know. <laughs> something for some semblance of community. I was thinking about that pre, like, you know, like a week and a half ago when, I had more capacity to like put energy towards things like that. I've been trying to think because I, I keep seeing people online um, like this last week, especially like um, black drag queens and black queer artists who are like, like, yes, let's, we uh, like need to keep spreading information. That's vital and important. They were like every now and then 
look at something that makes you happy because <laughs> they're like you need to do that y'all um so I've been thinking about that because I've been like I've been like maybe I should like spend a little bit of my time thinking about that again because it was bringing me joy and it was like a thing to look forward to because I was thinking about doing something on like June 27th I think it was the day before Pride usually happens and uh yeah I, I was like this could be a this could be fun this could be cute little although it was very it, I mean, not although I shouldn't say although but like it, the intentions were like this should be like Afrofuturistic, like an environmental black like thing art celebration and then a disco because disco is inherently black Ooh. and queer <laughs> i've been so into disco lately i've been listening to so much donna summers lately yes just, i've been living for 12 minute songs yes. in my room myself <laughs> but i love that though talking about black art especially in a context of liberation but i've been thinking about like tech-based uh well, just like Afrofuturism and like the tech involved in some music. If y'all haven't listened to the Arc, well, I don't know if this will go in, but Arc Android album, literally the album, I love the album so much because it's just like, it incorporates so many facets of like black music all together. You know what I mean? It encapsulates so much. And it also just like leads us to like this, honestly, because uh, like, I mean, sorry, I keep cutting off my sentences, but um, because I started thinking about the other album too, because I was like thinking about our conversation and I was like, do you know please music? abolitionist question mark it's got an end oh to- no i can send you some articles if you want a lot of um there's a cool i had a talk with a cool professor um down in ut I'm um, trying to remember the names escaping me but um who wrote an article but yeah no in terms of like, afrofuturist work and themes of like queer liberation black liberation totally um a lot with monet so i think i have like an article or two that are pretty short um that i could send you if you want oh, i would love that thank you I definitely want to center and think about, I think, especially if I'm going to consume stuff right now, I want to consume things that are, that are theorizing in themselves, like, you know, art that's, that's thinking about how we can realize futures, you know what I mean? And just like realizing, thinking about what that future would look like through this tech-based or this like non-humanist, uh, or not, hu- not non-humanist, but non-human aesthetic or yes. that's another, like, oh, let's just say that centering black queer black queer art there's so much art out there that engages in or does some of this work i mean not in the same way obviously but like can can let you think about things or or help people learn or or engage in ways that you hadn't thought or provide um futures that you might not have been able to imagine because you know if it's hard for us to imagine a future because people always say how can how can what are we going to do with another police? And it's like, well, maybe we should use some other media, like, or maybe the meetings will help people. We're going to get an education. Yeah. We're going to stop terrorizing the global self. Like, that's what we're going to do. There's so many good answers to it. You just need to, like, read. Redistribute the money that will be going to the police into caring for the community. It's crazy to think how much money they have seeing all of these raid suits. I'm like, how these cost a lot. Like, we could really have after-school programs. Like, we could have, it's not that difficult. Like, this country has so much wealth. Like, it could just go to education and healthcare as a right. And it probably wouldn't even be that radical of a shift of just redistribution. Like, it's just a couple of people have so much money. They got to go. They got to go. I just don't know what else to say. Like, they got to go. The fact that that's happening and people aren't more upset about it is very confusing to me. Yeah, it's a uh, that's it's really interesting. Um, some academics have like uh, thought about it and call it like 
disaster capitalism, but the context is they're actually looking for the colony of Puerto Rico and thinking about how after Hurricane Maria, this kind of uh, influx of folks looking to capitalize on rebuilding efforts and how they can remodel the islands to more U.S. assimilatory and capitalist, even further push the narrative of the U.S. because it's a territory of the U.S. Um, and so this whole idea around disaster capitalism is like, it's so gross because it's like, how do you capitalize? capitalize off of a pandemic? How do you capitalize off of a natural disaster? How do you capitalize off of a virus? Like, is our socioeconomic system is not humanizing. It's not designed to produce and take care of life. It's, it's designed to produce profit margins. So they will really take advantage of anything. It's so wild to me. I'm like, why? For what? Why? I think the summary then of all the things, we just, our pride is fighting back. Tearing down the system. Period. Period. Y'all hear the snap? Yeah. I was doing a headcock with my like hand. Yes. Like, yes. yes. <laughs> we hope that you've enjoyed this episode of Us Unscripted Stories. This episode is the final episode of the season. Thank you to everyone listening to our Us and Scripted Stories. We will return in September at the start of the academic year with more stories to share. Everyone, stay safe, stay well. Thanks for having me. It was a pleasure. Thank you, guys. Support for this podcast is provided by Joe Scaletti, Emma Salen, Sydney Hastings-Smith, Saeed Resco, Alex Mana, Austin Gardner, Rafael Contreras, Juliet Sparza. The support from Vishnu Venagopal, Linda Luck, and Aaron Golding. Subscribe to hear more from us.